0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. This week, I chat with Imran Khan, investor at Full Capital. Imran joins us for the third episode of the DeFi Defined series. In this episode, we unstacked Volk Capital's investment thesis as a pre-seed equity fund and their experience working with early-stage DeFi projects. We also go over some topics that Token Daily, their research arm, has covered, such as DeFi Capital Flow, DeFi Yield Aggregators, and Bitcoin and DeFi. Imran also shares the progress around the Chicago DeFi Alliance and why they recently launched a Y Combinator-like DeFi Accelerator alongside institutional trading firms such as Jump Trading, DRW, and CMT Digital. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Imran. Welcome to Crypto Unstacked. Thanks so much for joining me on the pod today. Happy to be here. Before we dive into our conversation about DeFi, we'd love to learn more about how you got your start as an entrepreneur and how that led you to become a crypto investor.
1: Yeah, I'd say that uh, being an entrepreneur isn't the journey that everyone should take, but (laughs) At a young age, I'd always loved doing things on my own, built my own first computer, ended up building computers for everyone around the block, and to the point where I've realized leading my own path is something I'd love to do. So throughout high school and college, I've started multiple minor startups, but ultimately my biggest foray into actually leading my own company and team was right after college, where I started a business that was focused in the ad tech side of the business. And, and the beautiful thing about this is that I, I call this as a similar to getting an MBA type program because you actually learn a lot on the job. And so we ended up growing the company out to about 40 employees. We've had the chance to build a direct partnership with Dish Network, which was one of the, one of the larger companies here in the States at the time, where I got to meet the CEO, we did a partnership where we kind of created an entire campaign that kind of blanketed the U.S. We ended up getting acquired by a local company here in Chicago. And then after that, I started to look deeper into kind of emerging technologies and then came across crypto.
0: That's super interesting. So ad tech was really your first foray, I guess, into the technology space. Is is that pretty accurate then?
1: Yeah, it is. And I'd say like one of the reasons why I gravitated towards like, let's say Dish, even though it sounds like a very archaic company, is the fact that they were buying up satellite towers at the time to potentially launch their own cell phone provider. Uh, This was like 10 years ago and they still haven't done it yet. But yeah, (laughs) looking for emerging technologies has always been kind of like my... Way into getting into disruptive types of trends.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, being on the frontier yeah. is always very, very exciting, very experimental. But I guess, hey, yeah. if you're a risk adverse person. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of right up your alley, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so so that's super cool. And how does your experience then, as an entrepreneur working in the emerging technology space, kind of inform the judgments that you're making now as a full time investor?
1: I, I do think like having entrepreneurship background will give two things to the investor that will help them out during these types of like paradigm shifts that we're all going through. One is understanding that the ecosystem will change very quickly. And what it does, you have to know as an investor where you think the trend is going to go. And that's number one. Number two is like betting on the team because the team uh, has to be uh, fluid. And you have to understand the entrepreneur you're betting on understands that the ecosystem could change pretty quickly and that you have to have a strong vision as you're leading team into these types of very, I wouldn't say difficult times, but ever-changing times. And so that's kind of what I see when I look at entrepreneurs is understanding, one, that they understand the insight in terms of the, the world that they're about to enter. And then number two is, can you really kind of take the vision that you have in your head and really bring a crowd or bring a, a narrative around it where you can kind of lead the team to success.
0: Yeah. Now more than ever, crypto is showing that it's quite important to be a strategic investor and being a participant within the networks. I know that you guys are, are quite active as well via, I, I don't know if it's a subsidiary or if it's just like a separate arm of Volt Capital, but it's the Token Daily Labs, right? Where where you're a validator on the CELO network. Could you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, I I do think that it's important as protocols are starting to become more active in the space where we're seeing a lot more entrepreneurs building up different ways to engage networks. And so like there's a few areas where we think as investors we like to participate in. One is obviously investing and leading companies, but two being active validators on these networks, because ultimately if you look three to five years down the line, when most of these protocols are self-governed. There's going to be different ways where we can provide value. So number one is being active validators. So that way we can continue to be close to what's happening to the protocol so that we can understand different trends. And so that's number one. Number two is we think investors' rules are changing and it's changing to two different areas. One is becoming more passive. And number two is becoming much more hands on. I don't think you, you'll find much in the middle anymore because the ones in the middle are probably going to be commoditized through investment vehicles like DAOs, which is uh, something we've built a thesis around. We took the route of being much more hands on, which is creating TD labs, and in this way, we're able to continue to help bootstrap networks as they're going through the growth phase. And then, number two is even operating mining farms. Uh, we have a partnership with a company called Monad Technologies, where we run a bunch of FPGA units where we're mining both Handshake and Nervos.
0: FPGA isn't too common these days, but is that the primary way to actually mine those two tokens that you mentioned?
1: Um, I'd say it's not the most efficient way now because now there's ASICs for both, but it's the fastest way to mine. And what I mean by that is it typically takes six months to 12 months to get a an ASIC out to the market. And so in that time, you could actually just pick up an FBJ, reprogram it, and mine almost as efficient as an ASIC. It does take up more power, but it's much more quicker in the sense of turnaround time. Uh, I would say our thesis in this space as well is that FBJs will eventually cannibalize GPUs that are running on network, but ASICs will always be ASICs.
0: Why don't we dive right into Volt Capital? Um, as I understand, you guys are a venture fund making early stage bets, specifically in pre-seed equity. What's your investment thesis?
1: Yeah, um, I'd say it's probably very common to what most venture funds are operating crypto, which is there's you know kind of three There's DeFi, there's infrastructure, and then there's retail, and retail meaning like anything that touches the end user. Uh, and you can think of things like Dharma, you know, front-end wallets, exchanges, things like that. So those are the three areas that we look at. But if I had to put my finger on why we're different, we're different in a few ways. One is we're very early, and, and we're early to the point where there's entrepreneurs looking for this feedback on their white paper, or they're just getting feedback in the terms of how they should be thinking about their go-to-market strategy or their product. And why we think this is important is that our connection with entrepreneurs are in such a way that we aren't looking to pass a judgment right away. We're here to kind of offer feedback and help them grow as an entrepreneur until they find the right product or product market fit. Uh, And we think this relationship is important because uh, entrepreneurs need that support structure so that they can continue to grow and be eventually a leader in what they're building. So a lot of projects that we invest in are very early pre-seed seed seed is kind of like our area where we like to focus on Mm -hmm. and uh, we found that to be pretty pretty good for what we do i'm happy to dive into any of the areas investments if you'd like but that's kind of where we see ourselves thrive
0: right so you're more positioned to invest in the infrastructure and product side and less so on the more liquid token side then right that's correct Okay. Is there a benefit to doing that? Because I know there are some funds out there that have a long-term sort of traditional venture capital strategy, but they also run like a separate hedge fund as well to take advantage of all the volatility, especially when it comes to these more illiquid altcoins, if they feel like they can generate alpha that way. So could you just share more about the inception of this approach to be long only?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, tokens, trading are all important parts of the crypto ecosystem. And what we thought about is after we kind of surveyed all the venture funds and funds that are out there, there's been less and less focus on making long-term seed equity deals. And we thought that this is an important factor to still play in as we kind of shift from this like equity-only role to a potential token-only world. There needs to be some staple funds that are out there that are actively focused on this area number two is if all of our thesis are correct which is hey protocols are great and they're going to continue to add value but what's going to add more value is the types services that are being built on top of these protocols and so another part of our thesis is that many of these applications or startups building on the protocols they can't raise via a token sale they'll still need the ultimate like hard cash, uh, so that they can build out their startup the way they'd like to. And, and we believe in that thesis. So you have teams like Dharma that we funded, where they didn't want to raise money through a token, but they wanted to build mm-hmm. an application that everyone can use. So that's kind of like where we see ourselves in the, in the landscape.
0: And speaking of Dharma, can you talk about sort of the new iteration of the product that just launched, I believe it was two weeks ago? And what innovations we're seeing from their side?
1: Yeah. What's really cool about Dharma is that they're hyper-focused on building a product that everyone can use. And that is what's lacking in crypto today. That's just generally, we don't see something that's being used widely. And I think that it should be a good area of our focus because that's how we're going to ultimately grow the entire pie. And so Dharma, what they're building today is a lending product along with an exchange product so the lending product is built on top of compound and so anyone can deposit uh, dollars using their bank account and they earn interest right away and it's obviously the best interest compared to what others are being offered on the traditional finance base. the second is uh, which is really cool uh, is a hook into uniswap if you look at uniswap today it's ultimately crypto focused or crypto-native users that can use Uniswap, but not the everyday person. Mm -hmm. And so what they did was they ultimately created a product that makes it easy for anyone to use Uniswap. With all the new kind of token listings that I'm sure that you're hearing about, uh, it makes it easier for any retail user to purchase tokens using Uniswap. Um, It takes like three steps.
0: This is the third episode in our DeFi Defined series. And in our last episode with Andrew Kang, we chatted in depth about the evolution of incentivization mechanisms in DeFi, and you know I'd really like to continue that conversation with you and highlight one of the articles that your colleague Mohammed uh, from from Token Daily uh, wrote on the topic of you know analyzing whether this whole yield farming thing we're seeing now is really bringing in new users. defi right because that's that's the question we're seeing all this capital flow in but where is it actually coming from so can you just talk about some of the conclusions that you guys drew from the the high level research that you did
1: yeah um i'd say that a lot of what's happening with the yield farm is a very interesting phenomena and it's really taking some of the holes in the current crypto ecosystem and leveraging that in a way where people can earn yield And I don't know if you've read, Chow Wing is one of my co-leads at the the DeFi Alliance, but he recently wrote a thread regarding where yield actually comes from. And it's really from like uh, spot traders uh, as one. And so for those that are investing or for those that are trading and losing money, a lot of what's happening from that layer of trading is ultimately seeping into kind of the yield and how people can earn yield. Ultimately, there's other ways as well, but that's kind of like the main driver into how yield is being generated. We think it's it's very interesting and I think um, there's still gonna be a lot of volatility in terms of the types of products that you can offer when it comes to being just based purely on yield. Uh, number two is we think that's gonna shrink over time uh, because ultimately it's unsustainable to offer a yield of 1000% or 500% for a given period of time. Ultimately, what we're seeing now is a, a group we call we internally call this uh group uh, yield farmer or yield chasers, and essentially what's going to happen is these yield chasers quote unquote are going to just hop on from you know one protocol to the other, extract the yield and find the next best opportunity, and so this is something we call the Groupon effect, and I don't know if you if you know about Groupon here in the states, but uh Groupon was this kind of coupon only program where you buy the discount and you get like free services at at any retail location. What ultimately happened there, the demise there was that uh, over time, just retail stores were extracted. Uh, There was no real value in terms of customer retention and the stores ended up either going out of business or losing a lot of money. So the core focus that we think about when we uh, think about assessing protocols and yield farming incentives is How are you retaining customers? How are you retaining clients? Uh, Where you're able to get them active as part of your protocol. One way we found it to be very interesting is the the Wi-Fi protocol uh, did something very interesting. Uh, They had this kind of huge launch where a lot of people, a lot of the community members made uh, a good amount of money. Uh, The founder of the uh, Wi-Fi protocol uh, said, you guys vote me in if you want me to run the protocol which created that kind of dogmatic story that was very in line with kind of Satoshi Nakamoto and Bitcoin. Because of that narrative, uh, a lot of the community members started to gravitate towards Wi-Fi. But the other thing is, which I thought was pretty brilliant, is the, the token cap that Wi-Fi put in, which is 30,000. Uh, and so a lot of the folks that just came in just to attract yield decided to stay. And they're like, there could be something important here because there is a cap so there is money that could be made here so ultimately people that decided to yield farm kept the tokens and started to accumulate more tokens because of just those three different parameters that they saw that i mentioned earlier uh, and so i do think moving forward protocols when they think about launching in 5 will need to think about their narrative their story they need to think about whether they're going to be community-funded fund funded protocol or a VC-funded protocol. And number three is they have to create incentives in a way where they get, it's like a forcing function for the community to be a part of the governance of the protocol. So those are three areas that we think could be very, very interesting moving forward.
0: Yeah. And to continue on the topic of urine, because everyone is talking about Yearn these days in sort of the very innovative way that they've been able to kind of bootstrap interest, right, in the form of liquidity to the Wi-Fi token. And Yearn is effectively a liquidity aggregator that provides automated yield farming strategies uh, across a number of lending pools. And, you know, DeFi aggregators is something that you've tweeted about, and you've mentioned a number of names, Yearn, Rari, Idle, Ray, all of these guys. So, could you talk about the role of these yield aggregators and and how they play into really making this DeFi ecosystem more efficient?
1: Yeah, I would say that many of these yield aggregator protocols make it easier for anyone to take advantage of all the protocols that are out there. Very plain and simple. If I'm a retail user and I'm trying to figure out how to take advantage of, let's say, Aave, Compound, SNX, etc., It'll be very hard for me to do that. I'll be very honest. And so you need to have very complex strategies where you're able to extract yield at the right time with the right amount of capital with the right blend of protocols. (laughs) That's the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. So, what these DeFi aggregators do is really just automate that, which is extracting the best yield out of the best protocols at the right time. Now, the question isn't whether they're going to be successful, they are. The question is going to become who's going to kind of like, Be the leader in that because there's several of them that are out there. And what types of strategies are going to work where they're ahead versus their competitors? Some have argued that they're very similar to like the aggregation theory that Ben Thompson had posted, which I don't agree with. I do think this is a commodity, this could be commoditized. And so the theory and thesis that I have in the space is the folks that have the best governance, the best community will ultimately lead against their competitors and i'll tell you a few reasons why first reason is if you have the most diverse community that's the most active then in terms of strategies they'll be able to seek out the best strategies for yield and that is like one important thing that i think about because having a few people run the protocol and then being a part of the governance isn't what's important it's about the diversity And the different perspectives that comes into the kind of protocol that gives them the insight in terms of the types of strategies they need to pull the trigger on. So if I would have to say a few things, one is the community, how fast they react. Number two is the governance. How fast can they vote and integrate the new strategies? And number three is between speed and community, the protocol itself will be able to take advantage of the yield faster than others. Once that happens, the end users that invest in this DeFi aggregator will get the most yield. And my thesis is, if you get the best yield early on, then that will bring in more liquidity because more and more users would like to get the best, right? If I'm just a retail user and I see two aggregators, I see yield that's higher than the other, I'll just invest in that. And liquidity will drive liquidity. Yield will drive liquidity. Uh, And so we'll see this as being a cyclical effect.
0: Right, right. Looking at your portfolio of projects, is there one right now that is doing exactly what you're saying, executing very quickly but not in a very rash way, uh, listening to the community, and just kind of iterating based on what the community wants? Yeah.
1: Um, I would say um, one of our portfolio companies that we're excited about is Value. Uh, and what Value is, it's a, it's a remittance app and a bank that's kind of all-in-one that is built for the people of Colombia and Venezuela. Uh, there's a huge migration happening between Colombia uh, between Venezuela and Colombia because of the volatility of its uh, of local currencies, one. Number two is just the macro environments that's affecting the overall health of the com- uh, country. Uh, and so there's a huge migration happening between Venezuela and Colombia. And so they use that as a target market where they have released the product that just makes it easy for anyone to uh, plug in their bank accounts and then send and receive pesos. Very easy. They can send money back home and vice versa. They save typically about 25% might just doing that. The beauty behind this is the backend infrastructure is all Bitcoin and Bitcoin rails. The way the transfer of liquidity happens is just using Bitcoin and the black network markets. That makes it easier for anyone to kind of transfer money back and forth. The very interesting thing with what Valley is doing also is understanding kind of the macro environments of the of what's happening with the U.S. And whatever the U.S. does will have a, an adverse effect on emerging countries and countries with weaker economic systems. If I had to put like two sentences to this, they're building a product that will give them access to synthetic dollars that's local and will be a great hedge against any local volatility that's going to come into the space so any Venezuelan or colombian can now deposit pesos automatically convert it into a stable coin or a crypto dollar and they'll use that as a hedge against what's happening in space um, and so they've been uh, operating for about a year and a half uh, and what's very interesting about them is that they're very boots on the ground so they work with the customers locally and this is a product that they've all been asking for uh, and so that's kind of like the iteration that they've been doing over time they've listened to their customers, they've continued to build and release products.
0: And the beauty of that is that it's all powered by Bitcoin. It is, is. (laughs) On the back end, they don't even need to know that. Mm -hmm. I'll have to check out that company. I haven't heard about it before.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.io. You know, speaking about trends that we're seeing that will really bring in more people to the space, and specifically to DeFi, a, a subject that is quite controversial but doesn't get, I would say, too much love or a ton of coverage on crypto Twitter. At least, is the Bitcoin and DeFi narrative, yes. um, and and so the overarching question that a lot of people have is, you know, how do we get DeFi? to tap into Bitcoin's liquidity, Uh right? And you've tweeted that Bitcoin and DeFi will grow in lockstep. You know, you say that the macro changes will push Bitcoin's flywheel really aggressively with DeFi being a sub flywheel. So yeah, can you break that down? What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Bitcoin's, I, I, I remember this tweet. So Bitcoin's final boss is really gold, right? Which is to replace or, or be, I'd say, be in the same realm as gold in terms of the properties that it, it adds and values. Where we think DeFi is going to be in the overall ecosystem is really playing on the traditional finance side. And the way it drives each other is many of the investors that are looking to first get into crypto will first start with understanding what Bitcoin is, how it is valued in terms of gold, and understand kind of some of the inherent properties it, it adds, and then they'll make the investment there. And and as soon as they kind of understand gold and Bitcoin's narrative, they'll be very comfortable in holding you know, large amounts of Bitcoin. Over time, after speaking with many institutions, uh, they start to get, dive deeper into the space, and the other kind of narrative that's starting to stick is an alternative way to exchange and send money globally, which is stable coins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, it's also exchanges, right? Uh, decentralized exchanges. Um, and so that is another narrative that's sticking pretty well. And what's happening now is a lot of these institutional investors are understanding the, the value proposition for decentralized finance in such a way that it builds a narrative that's kind of underneath what Bitcoin offers. If you looked at Bitcoin's narrative seven years, eight years ago, that was Bitcoin's narrative. (laughs) It was the ability to send and receive Mm -hmm. money globally. It was the ability to kind of get rid of traditional finance, et cetera, et cetera. But that never happened. And the reason why it never happened is the the properties that it values is even more important than those sub properties I mentioned. So a lot of that narrative went over to Ethereum and into DeFi. And so we still value what those properties are but not as much as Bitcoin. And so a lot of those thesis that people have built over time naturally gravitated towards Ethereum and, and specifically DeFi. And so the way we think about how each is gonna help other is in two ways. One is Bitcoin is still the digital gold and that digital gold has deep liquidity based on all the institutional investors that are out there. And and what people want eventually is the fact that they're not they're not actually selling uh the bitcoin but they're able to use it in other ways that will attract yield in such a way that's very very efficient and so you'll start to see things like tbtc or keep network where you're able to kind of stake bitcoin you'll start to see the rap btc and then using rap btc in some of these yield farming mechanisms so you'll start to see more and more institutional investors getting deeper into the space just to attract or extract the best yield that's it while they're still holding bitcoin in the next six months, you'll start to see a lot of that. Right now, we have what a couple hundred million bucks in WBTC, yeah, about 177.
0: 177. <laughs> Number eight on the leaderboard today.
1: <laughs> uh, I'd say by a year from now, it'll probably be at a billion.
0: These pegged bitcoins are one way that you know people are using bitcoin within the uh DeFi ecosystem, yeah. right? It's like bitcoin on ethereum so people are creating these erc20 tokens pegged to the value of bitcoin and wbtc as you said wrapped btc being probably the most prominent way but you know there are drawbacks right to wrapped btc that i think a a lot of people poke holes at which is the i guess centralized aspect of it as the custodian is bitgo so how do we sort of level up from a wrap BTC to get more towards the decentralized ethos that I feel like a lot of the native crypto participants are more comfortable with?
1: I think it's, we're going to have two flavors. That's ultimately what we're going to see. I don't think, like, I love the decentralized properties that keep network offers for people to stake their Bitcoin. Ultimately, there's counterparty risks, smart contract risks in order for you to do that. So a lot of institutional investors that have large holdings of Bitcoin would probably take the safer approach of just you know having Bitcoin custody of their bitcoins and then they'll have access to wrap Bitcoin and they can do whatever they want. I think over time, once the you know a lot of infrastructure becomes much more robust, there's more trust. Uh, I do think that will uh you know bend over time, but I do think we're pretty long ways away from being in that world. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd say like maybe two, two to four years, but. I mean i'll be very honest like right now i think the biggest thing we want is liquidity and we're getting it um now the decentralized properties that we all want which is kind of like a narrative for the future it will happen over time and i think it's just going to be gradual but i think what's happening now which is an interesting phenomenon is the deep liquidity of bitcoin offers is being pulled into ethereum which is pretty awesome
0: do you think these pegged bitcoins are really going to be the way forward or you know, Mohammed's also written about other ways that Bitcoin can be used. Uh, you know, leveraging cross-chain swaps or sidechain solutions. Are are those better approaches to bring in Bitcoin to the ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's many like novel solutions that are being built. There's cross-chain atomic swaps. We're starting to see some protocols uh, that are being built that would act as a transmission layer between different different blockchains uh, in terms of liquidity. But all of that is still being built. And we haven't seen anything that's efficient, fast, and secure where transmission can happen quickly and easily between just different blockchains or just doing cross-chain atomic swaps. And so I think the safest bet right now is BTC. That's kind of like our training wheels. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think uh, two, I'd say maybe a year or two years from now, we'll start to see some novel solutions around cross-chain atomic swaps where it's efficient enough, fast enough, uh, that can be done in you know pretty seamlessly between different exchanges, different protocols. But ultimately, integration is the number one most important thing, and we haven't yet seen anything that's done in a very fast and efficient. Way.
0: So, wrapped, BTC, in wrapped it is, BTC, at least for the foreseeable future. At least for the foreseeable future. <laughs> that's the takeaway take take here. Take away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So Imran, now I want to pivot to talk about one of your other initiatives, super exciting. It's called the Chicago DeFi Alliance. Could you give our listeners a brief background on what this is and why you and your team thought it was important to start this in the first place? Yeah.
1: So I'm based out of Chicago. Chicago is home to about 65% of the world's market makers. And so I've generally had a very good relationship with most of these like trading firms and market makers. And over time we've realized like many of the startups that have been pinging or reaching out to me, we're reaching out to some of these larger market makers and we figured there was a kind of a broken system in place. So that was kind of one insight. The second insight is being in, in crypto for nine years, I've started to see a big trend in different emerging technologies. And there's like one or two critical areas where they need the most support on. So DeFi being one, where we saw one of the key areas that they need support on is obviously liquidity, not just liquidity from just you know retail liquidity. We're talking about liquidity that's professionalized, that's able to help them bootstrap their protocol and then really offer the rights of the type of support structure so they can attract uh, institutional traders. And so DeFi was an emerging trend that we saw. And what we realized is like, could we create a platform, an open platform for any DeFi startup to come and engage with any of the market makers here in Chicago? And so what we ended up doing was chatting with Jump Trading, which is the largest futures trader globally, uh, DRW, and about 20 other market makers and training firms. And we said, let's mm-hmm. just make it easy for startups and DeFi to reach out to us. So we put up a website, uh, an application, and uh, we made an announcement in March. And To our surprise, we've had over 200 applications come in from DeFi startups globally. And we've realized that we may have hit a nerve uh, with (laughs) with with every entrepreneur that's out there that really needs that support structure in place. So within two weeks, we ended up creating a full fledged program. And we have like kind of three areas that we focus on within the program. But ultimately it's a it's a mentorship process where any market maker or trading firm can come in and chat with some of the startups through a kind of like a structured process where they can mentor them, help them up with product feedback, and ultimately provide liquidity throughout the process. So our first cohort, which was Zero X, DYDX, Token Sets, IDEX, Open uh, Synthetics, and Kyber Network. They went through the program. Uh, we've had really good traction. We've had about seven market makers that actually provide liquidity. We had 11 trading firms that are actively trading. And we have about 20 uh, investment firms that are beginning proof of concepts to whether or not explore ways to provide liquidity, which we thought was really awesome. We've doubled down on this program and we made it. We actually launched yesterday our full-fledged accelerator program. So you could think of this as uh, something very similar to Y Combinator, where the Accelerator would invest in some of these projects, and the invest in the Accelerator is backed by Jump Trading, DRW, CMT Digital, Volt, uh, alongside all the Alliance members that are interested. And what we get out of this is really, one, uh, skin in the game to help these startups grow. And through the eight-week process, they go through a very hands-on intensive program that gives them the ability to really understand the landscape in such a way that they're able to grow quickly and scale their products much more efficiently, because right now entrepreneurs are worried; they're battling three or four different battles. It's not just you know going moving towards to Silicon Valley, or or early New York, or anywhere else globally, um, and then finding a team and then building a product. <laughs> it's just it's not that easy anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeFi mm-hmm. is is a very very complex environment. Uh, regulations, unknown regulations, new products, smart contract risks liquidity bootstrapping there's just so much so our program what we want to do is get back to the basics let's just get rid of all the hurdles that our entrepreneur has and let the, give them that area where they just focus on building and attracting users that's all what we want them to do so that is exactly what the accelerator is going to do we're going to use the power of the community and the alliance members to offer that uh kind of like very cohesive uh, support structure, so that way entrepreneurs go through this program and they have liquidity, and they really just focus on building products for users
0: to really help them accelerate their path to product market fit, right? Which exactly. is the ultimate goal. But I guess my burning question here is: Why do the likes of you know DRW and and Jump Trading like why do they want to participate and trade DeFi? Because I've heard the comment that it's a very risky space for sure, especially when you want to talk about yield farming, right? It's like, do these guys participate in something like yield farming? Or or are you really talking about these guys participating by way of investing in these projects, time and capital via the accelerator? How are these guys actually participating (laughs) in DeFi right now?
1: (laughs) obviously um the biggest hurdle is smart contract risk you probably hear about it every other week that something like there's a hack that has happened or people have lost funds so um, if any of the market makers are participating um they're participating uh i'd say uh not with its full force um there's testings happening in different protocols um and I could say probably with confidence in the next year or two, you'll start to see more and more of that. I think what this incubator or accelerator offers uh, a lot of the likes of Jump and DRW and all the other market makers are out there is just an understanding of what's happening in the space. DeFi is moving at a you know kind of light speed uh, is what I call it. It moves pretty quickly and in order for these larger market makers to stay on top of what's happening in DeFi, uh they have to be very close to the ground and the way you do that is through this accelerator and number two is there's still a lot of synergies between these DeFi 5 protocols and market makers even if it isn't yield farming uh, there's a lot of ways where they collaborate as it is whether it's kind of market making globally with other exchanges or whether just building on a strategy for them to kind of grow or understand their token mechanics and offering feedback uh, there's a lot of other ways that market makers are collaborating with the DeFi protocols, which is still very, very valuable. I think over time uh, you'll start to see a lot of this capital bleed over to DeFi once the kind of the smart contract risks start to subside. Um, but it, I guess the way I would position it is it's always better to be early or to be uh, or to be left out, and that's what's happening, right? Like DeFi, like technically, I could say that. There will be market makers that will be born out of the DeFi industry that will become as big as any of the market makers that are available today. I can say that with, with some confidence. And so I think it's important that, uh, I mean, if you look at Alameda Research, uh, I mean, that's a great example of what Sam built over the past like few years. And so I think we're going to start to see a lot of that. And so I think it's important for all the market makers that are operating in space to stay very close to DeFi.
0: Are applications now open for this accelerator
1: applications are now open we will announce our cohort on august 24th
0: got it got it okay a lot to look out for there um inron now i want to move on to a question that i love to ask all of my guests (laughs) which is what's your most contrarian view about the crypto space as an investor
1: that's a good question um I'd say that a lot of people think Bitcoin is going to be successful. Uh, We're still very early from an experimental phase of Bitcoin and whether or not it's going to hold a narrative that we think it's going to hold. Uh, And there could be a world out there where Bitcoin doesn't succeed. Uh, And and I'm not saying that I'm not in that camp. uh, But there is a part of me that still holds that uh, thought because, you know, we've been in this experimental phase for about uh since 2009 2010 so it's only been really like 11 years and there could be a world that's out there that bitcoin doesn't succeed and it could fail and the entire ecosystem could fail i'm asking that's going to happen but i keep that thought there because as an investor uh, you cannot be all in on any idea or thought you just cannot do that uh, because if you do that then you have already put yourself at risk of what could be the of any alternative outcomes that could have happened to you as an investor? And so I take the most valued narrative <laughs> uh, in crypto, which is Bitcoin, and then you deconstruct that narrative in a way where it could be, you could see the other side of it, which is, or can you even see the other side of Bitcoin failing? Uh, being in the space for nine years now, I, I would like, would have never thought I'll never think that Bitcoin would fail, but it can. Uh, and so I think about that every time when I think about investing in any of these protocols or projects, uh, because I think it's important there that or something to important to keep in mind that anything can fail.
0: Yeah, an important lesson there. I mean, things move so rapidly in the space, and Ultimately, if nothing's being innovated on on the blockchain in this case, it's not going to go anywhere, right? So it really depends on the community of developers and, of course, adoption as well, which is what people have been asking in regards to Bitcoin for a really long time now. Imran, now I just wanted to close out our conversation with a quick round of rapid fire. Are you ready?
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Great. So, we've seen a ton of funny money gaining some real traction yes. since the start of the DeFi craze. What's your favorite DeFi funny money? Tendies. That's what Andrew said as well. Did you really? <laughs> <laughs> What's your take on Tendies? Why why is that your favorite? Uh,
1: so, um, I would say new Um, I we think that uh, it's actually pretty interesting, but like um i actually sent a tweet about this too which is like my daily routine now includes browsing 4chan every morning because (laughs) (laughs) because is going to become a very big thing Uh, it has already if you look at link and if you look at all of the other you know projects that become very successful uh mobility is just the ability to transfer uh, a story through very Mm -hmm. easy uh through very easy mediums that gains traction very quickly. That's really ultimately what I think about when I think about humability. So the story about attendees is very interesting. Um, and the the transfer of knowledge or the transfer of story has happened pretty quickly. And there's a community that's being built around it. It has, you know, interesting deflationary properties, which I mean if you look at the the if you think about if you look at the game theory it's pretty interesting uh, where it's supposed to accrue value to a token. Ultimately, there's no value for the token. I mean, there's no reason to have token, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it's just very interesting. So I'd say that's kind of the areas why I liked it.
0: All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Imran is legitimizing Tendis. so no, maybe I'm put not. This on your <laughs> <laughs> put it on your block folio whenever they listed. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. Don't, don't know, hold onto to it. <laughs> um second question you talked about this a bit earlier but i'll just ask you this anyways just in case if you had to choose would you be a bitcoin maximalist or an ethereum diehard
1: Ooh. Um,
0: if her life depended on it <laughs>
1: uh, i'd say i mean this bull psycho ethereum
0: Ethereum. All right. It makes sense. Most people, I imagine, would say Ethereum if they're in this DeFi series. So, (laughs) but hey, I have to ask anyways. Yes. Um, (laughs) And last question here What is something that exists in DeFi today that you weren't expecting to see at the start of this year?
1: Yeah. Um, I would say if I had to put like one area where I wasn't expecting the the growth of DeFi is the amount of composability that's happened in the past six months is pretty insane. Uh, If you look at like, here's an example, like Wi-Fi, I was not expecting a DeFi aggregator this quickly. I thought it was gonna take at least another year before this would like actually come into fruition. So I'd say a DeFi aggregator is kind of like one area where I wasn't expecting it to happen as quickly.
0: Interesting. All right. And and yeah. that's why you've, you've built out a mini thesis as of yes. right now. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Imran, it was such a pleasure. How can our listeners connect with you and learn more about Bulk Capital and Token Daily? Yeah, uh,
1: you can go to our website, bolt.capital. You can find me on Twitter um, at uh, L-M-R-A-N-K-H-A-N. Um, that's kind of my Twitter handle, but my name is actually Imran with Nye. And that's how you can find me.
0: Great. Well, Imran, it was so great to have you on Crypto Unstacked today. I certainly learned a ton and definitely want to follow the Chicago DeFi alliance going forward. I really hope to bring you on again very soon. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me. It was great.
0: As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and Anchor.fm slash Crypto Unstacked. Do engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes. And connect with me on Twitter at Les That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode.